We're going to read the Scripture first, but uh, you've already turned there. I'm going to let you be seated while we read because we're going to read from the screen. We're going to read off the wall, I guess you could say, okay? Here's the reason I'm doing this. This is part two of a sermon that I began last week, and uh, the title of the sermon last week was The Righteous Judgments of God. And as I got to the end of it, I didn't really finish it. I don't know how many of you noticed that or were still awake. I, I did not finish the message coming to the, 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 the second part of that, but I wanted to come back today and do that, try to do as much, much justice as I can to this incredibly important topic and uh, give you food for thought. I hope you'll discuss these things over lunch today and, and put them in your heart. They will make an impact in your life, even as they have mine already this past week. And so, I'd like you to follow along. It's on the screen. Again, one of the reasons I've done this is because Paul intersperses these two judgments. The judgment, first of all, of, of giving relief to those of us who believe. And then, he says, pouring out retribution uh, vengeance on those who have afflicted you, who've put you under persecution, who've opposed you, and those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel. So I just want you to follow along. We'll try to weave this together, and then you'll see the outline of the verses as uh, we are talking about them today. Here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 6. Since indeed... God considers it just to repay. When's He going to do that? Fully. When the Lord is revealed, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, the angels of His might, literally, in flaming fire. He's going to come with affliction, inflicting vengeance on them. We'll define that. And then the next part says, they, that's the them upon whom He will afflict vengeance. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. And then He defines those, on, who, on those who afflict you, on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for uh, this service today, every Sunday ought to, it really ought to feel incredible that we have this, uh, it's not an opportunity, it's a privilege to come together as the body of Christ called Heritage and to worship you, to sing your word, to pray your word, to read your word, to uh, preach your word, to see your word so beautifully illustrated in the ordinance of baptism and then the Lord's Supper when we partake of that. And Father, I'm so glad that we can do that. Now, we thank you for all who have come today. Everyone is here by divine appointment, those who are listening in, those who will listen in later today or this week are here by divine appointment to hear one of the most critical messages about you and about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and about what you have done in our lives and will do when you return. 
Lord, thank you for Todd and Pamela Price and for their ministry, for their dedication, for their devotion to you. Thank you for their family. You have brought them through a lot. And still, Todd is translating, putting the Word, this wonderful Word that we take so for granted into the language of those who do not have a Bible in their own heart language. He's doing that, Lord, with, with your power and by your grace. And I pray that you would continue to help him as he does just that and works with translators and, and all the people that he has to work with. Now, God, help us as we, as we run through this Scripture and give us uh, the eyes to see, ears to hear the important things that you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, remember, the, the church at Thessalonica, if you haven't been here, let me go back and review. This is a new church. Uh, the Apostle Paul is really not writing to correct a lot of things. They're, they're, they weren't a perfect church. There is no such thing as a, a perfect church. They were not without their challenges. But overall, the church at Thessalonica was a sound, solid, healthy God-honoring and growing fellowship. Uh, he says this in, in, in the first couple of verses. He said they, they had faith. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in their love for each other. I shared with you last week how proud I am. And I think that's a pardonable, permissible pride of how you are dealing with a lot of the different things that are out there, and you are loving one another. I applaud you in that. But also they were enduring. While this church was not a perfect church, we're going to find out a little bit later on, they had freeloaders who were taking advantage of the system. Can you imagine that? In the church back then. But the biggest problem that they faced was persecution, affliction, opposition from their brothers and sisters in their own community. And so, Paul wanted to acknowledge something. It's almost as if he stops, and I don't know if you've read through this. I, I encourage you to read it over and over again. But this passage of Scripture that I'm dealing with today would almost seem out of place unless you caught the fact that Paul is trying to encourage them, now get this, and encourage us that no matter what you see around you, God's not finished yet. He is going to bring relief to those of us who love Him, to those who are afflicted. And we talked about that last week, but He has a plan to deal with other people as well. And so, it, it's a word of encouragement. I've, I've got to be honest, it, this is not necessarily an easy sermon to preach because these are, these are hard words. In fact, I, I'm going to say this. If you don't have, during this sermon, an inkling, an inkling of terror, then one of two things is true, maybe both at the same time. One is, I've failed to express to you what Paul expresses in the judgments that are to come upon those who do not know God, 
to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's either that or you are hard of heart or perhaps unsaved and hard of heart. I pray that these words will get to you. And, and if, you're, if you're listening, if you're a believer, if you're a follower and you, you, you love biblical preaching and you want the, the biblical preaching to change you, I'm telling you the study of this sermon changed at least my prayer life this last week. And I'll share a little bit more about that at the end. But, but here's why I say that. And, and please, please hear my heart. There are going to be thousands and thousands of sermons preached in this country today. And preachers are most likely going to talk about one of the most beautiful characteristics of God, His love and His mercy shown to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is appropriate, and it is good, and I want to do that even today. But there are some preachers that will never, ever get to the other characteristics of God that are also, if we understand them correctly, beautiful. They will not preach either today or in the days ahead. They will not preach the whole counsel of God. Now, we are charged to do that. We don't thump ourselves on the chest or pat ourselves on the back. It's just simply what God wants us to do. And frankly, I shared with our Membership Matters group this morning about the gospel. I said, you know, if, if you don't have a picture of this, you're not going to really get a sense that the gospel is good news. And that's why we need it. We need these sermons on God's love and His mercy and His grace toward us who believe to be balanced with the revelation of the other Again, beautiful, wonderful characteristics of the person of God and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just ask you a question. Is God glorified in the revelation of His love and His mercy and His grace and the salvation of sinners? Is He? Well, I've got two people who are saved. You don't have to respond audibly or just in your heart. Is God glorified in the revelation of His love and His mercy and grace and the salvation of sinners? Is God glorified as much in the revelation of His justice, in His judgment of sinners who do not know Him, who do not obey the gospel? Is He glorified? in the punishment and the vengeance, the wrath against sin and eternal destruction? The answer to both must be in our hearts a resounding yes. And that's why the Apostle Paul deals with this young church and, and, and a good church. He, he's he's going to throw open the doors to, to both things. Now, one, one thing that you need to see about God, it, it, and I know you know this, the majority, but there are going to be people along the way who say, hey, you, you, wow, wow, you're, you're, gonna, you're talking about hell today, aren't you, Pastor? Aren't we past that? I hesitated. I told the group this morning that I was going to be talking about hell. 
And I'm reminded of the pastor that went to a church, and he was there for a while, and he preached a sermon, then he preached another sermon, then he preached some more sermons on God's judgment in hell, and one of the people coming out the door at the end of the service said, wow, pastor, we didn't know what hell was till you came. I don't know if there's anybody, that, you know, Pastor, I feel uncomfortable with the doctrine of hell. Can God really be glorified in the destruction of sinners? Can I, can I love a God like this? Beloved, you better be able to because this is the only kind of God that is revealed in Scripture. Let, let me just share this, and I, do this with me. Turn over to Matthew. I think I've got this on the slide, but I, I just want to show you this. And, and uh, th this amazed me last week when I was looking and thinking about the context for this whole thing. We're going to start with the verses in just a minute, go verse by verse. But I thought about this uh, in terms of the uncertainty that's around us today. There, there are so many things. I talk to people all the time about a, a variety of things that are causing so much fear. I, I'm not even going to try to name all of those. But I do know that there are not a few people today who feel a sense of uncertainty about your life right now and what you're going through right now. And your, your future is, in your mind, is far from certain. But people, I will share this with you. There's only one that you need to fear. Now, this is an incredible verse of Scripture. And if you look at the context, you ought to write it down and go back and review it. Jesus sends out his apostles to preach. And this is their first excursion, okay? Their first outing. He gives them authority. And then he begins to just talk to them about what they're going to encounter. And he says, when you go out, you're going to encounter opposition the fiercest kind of opposition. You're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by all people on account of me. And this is, this is really what got me. He said, it's going to be so intense that brother will betray brother and hand them over to be killed. Now, now imagine that. A blood relative, brother against brother. He said parent will come against children and turn them over to death. And children will rise up against parents and turn them over. This is the kind of intense scene that, that, that Jesus is sending his apostles into. And then he comes with this instruction that is so incredible this is an instruction for believers. Don't be afraid of those. And those are the same people in 2 Thessalonians as the they that we just read about a few minutes ago that afflict you. So don't be afraid of any of those, whoever the those are. It could be any number of things, referring to people here, but any number of situations who can do what? They can kill the body. They can kill you. 
Now, I'm putting a little bit of Luke into the Matthew passage. After that, there's not anything more they can do. The worst that anyone can do to you is take your life. And it, I don't know if it amazes you that Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves, and you're going to have the most intense kind of stuff happening to you from government authorities and religious authorities and right in your own family, but don't fear those. They might take your life away, but don't fear them. But I will tell you who to fear. I'll warn you who to fear. He's talking to his apostles. Who are we to fear? God. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, he's talking to non-Christians because it, it, we'll see this in a minute. Non-Christians are at enmity with God, hostile toward God. No, he's talking to his apostles and he said, fear God. And then as if, if you want to change that around to say, have an awesome reverential fear of God. Yes, that's good. But he says, fear the one who can not only destroy, and we're going to see this word in Second Thessalonians here in a minute, fear him who can destroy and after he is killed has authority to cast both body and soul into hell. Yes, fear him. Our God is an awesome God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He is a just God. Look at verse 6. We're just going to walk through this. You've got the outline, got a couple of scriptures to throw onto the screen that will help you, since indeed God considers it just. If God considers something just, is there any possibility of injustice at all? No, because He's God and He's perfect. So he is saying that whatever else is coming, it is wonderfully just because God is always just. It's an essential part of his character. So please, when you're thinking about God, and you've got friends all around you, people all around you who are going to put their perverted ideas of justice, that's a word that we're going to hear a lot in the days ahead. You're already hearing it. Don't be swayed by those who are putting their perverted ideas of justice onto God. God is always just. With Him, justice can never be overlooked. I'm so glad about that. With Him, justice can never be prejudiced. It can never be distorted. And it can never be capricious. Just on a whim, Deuteronomy and Isaiah talk about this. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is He. He is exalted in justice. Now, I'll just say this, as long as we are in this body and we are fallen, and even though we're growing in sanctification, our personal sense of justice will always be perverted. But I want you to watch this. Now, watch. I'm going to go back and I'm going to reference something that happened last week. There is 
woven into your makeup, I, I don't know what to call, into your identity, into your person, there is woven a longing for justice. There were saints in the book of Revelation, and, and look at what they're longing for. This longing, is, it's in every person in this room. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God, for the witness that they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice. You hear a lot of loud voices in heaven, don't you? What were they crying out for? Justice, O sovereign Lord. How many of you, this has been kind of your prayer over the last little while. How long, Lord? How long? How long can you, how long can you just put up with some of what's happening around? They said, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge us? How long, O oh Lord, until your justice comes? Why? Is, is that just kind of, are, are these people that are bad people? These are us. We all long for that sense of justice. And then look at this, we rejoice when justice is done. Don't we? Don't you? After this, I heard what seemed to be, what? A loud voice. Here's another loud voice. A great multitude crying, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged. All things being equal, you and I want things to be made right. And we feel cheated when they're not. The George Floyd trial. Derek Chauvin. Whatever else you think about what went on, what was done, all of the rest of that, when I watched on Tuesday the verdict or the recording on the news, of the verdict, and I watched. Now, I'm, not, I'm making no judgment. I'm trying to get a point that we long for justice. Our sense of justice may not be everything that it needs to be. It may be perverted or swayed or whatever else, but we long for it when that verdict was read. Did, did any of you else notice when the crowds, and they were, they were, just, they were just listening, and when the verdict was read, they erupted? cheering? Why? Because in their minds, justice was served. You're driving down Kilpatrick Turnpike. You're dutifully. You don't want to, but you're dutifully going 74. Because you've always heard that you can go 74 and got, not get a ticket. And a guy blazes past you, going at least 90. Your first thought is, bless that dear brother. <laughs> he must be late for work. He might, you know, going to the hospital. No, what you're really hoping for is for a policeman to be down the road. Right? I see those heads, yes. 
there's just this innate sense of wanting justice. I was studying for the sermon. You know what came to me last week? Uh, Nuremberg. Anybody familiar with the Nuremberg trials? Ed, you are. Harleen. World War II. Boy, that, that is an interesting, interesting time in the history of our world. The, the atrocities that were committed during World War II, and they were going after Nazi war criminals. Hitler wasn't there. Why? He committed suicide. He knew what was coming. A lot of people felt cheated. Goebbels wasn't there. I may not be pronouncing that. Some of you guys that are German can tell me later how it's pronounced. He knew what was coming. He, he, one of the architects of the Holocaust. Six children gave them morphine so they would be sedated. His wife gave them cyanide pills, which they crushed so they would die. And he and his wife went out and committed suicide by taking the cyanide pills and then shooting themselves. Felt cheated. Ah, but Gehring, Gehring went through the trials. And he was convicted. Anybody remember what happened? The night before he was to be hanged, he wanted to be given a soldier's death to be shot. Nope, hanging. But the night before, somebody slipped in a cyanide pill and he committed suicide. Now, you know, there, there were a lot of people who felt cheated. Was justice done? Will justice be done? Yes. When will it happen? When will it happen? You, you can't make any excuses. I was just following orders. No excuses, no escape. When will it happen? Next part of the outline. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His angels of power. The power is not in the angels. The power is in Him. In flaming fire. That is a, an incredible picture. And we read over that and we don't let that just sink into our minds and into our hearts. When He comes on that day. So when the Lord is revealed, that's a different word from when He comes. This is apocalypsis, like the book of Revelation is the revealing. You know that word apocalyptic? What's it used for? Oh, come on, some of you that are movie fans, it's used for the end of the world kinds of things. Zombie apocalypse. There, there is an apocalypse that's coming, and, and get a picture of this. He's revealed. Where's he revealed from? From heaven. Okay, he's coming. Now, again, he went up, and he's coming. Same way, kind of. He's coming in the clouds. Okay, that's the sameness of it, but there's going to be a lot of difference. Paul is referring here to a supernatural terrifying. It, it says that, that people are going to be crying for rocks to, to fall on them. It, heaven and earth are going to flee. This is the unveiled 
divine glory. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. All of the tribes of earth will mourn. Why? Because they've had a part in his crucifixion? Yeah, but more than that, if you will read, like in Matthew 13, write down that reference too if you want to look at this, gives you an indication of one of the reasons that they're going to mourn. It says that there's going to be total darkness before this event. The sun will not shine. The moon is going to, well, if the sun doesn't shine, the moon's not going to be shining either. The stars are going to fall. It is going to, it's going to be absolute darkness. And out of this darkness is going to be the Son of Man who comes in flaming, blazing fire. With his holy angels who will execute the vengeance as reapers gathering together those who have rejected Christ, gathering them, them together and casting them into eternal fire. It says that they will be coming in flaming fire, the fire of judgment. So here basically is what Paul is saying. Believers, no matter how hard it is right now, no matter what is happening around you, no matter how hard life is for you, how much injustice you see going on in the world or lies or deception or anything else, Jesus is coming back not as a babe in a manger, but as a reigning Lord, and He's going to make everything right. Let me give you a little, just a little insight. Mankind is not in charge of the end of the world, even through climate change. God is in charge of the end of the world. Now, before we move on, we're going on to the next one. We're going to get there, right? We're not through. We're going to talk about what he's going to do when he comes. With affliction, inflicting vengeance on, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Is this just symbolic? Okay. What do you think? I, I really don't think so. But let me let you in on a secret. You're talking to somebody and they say, oh, yeah, are you a Baptist? <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm an enlightened person. This is symbolic. Folks, that's no out. Just share with them. If it is symbolic, the symbol is not ever, ever as bad as the reality. How many of you are wearing a little cross around your neck? Anybody? Or is that out? Is that passe? Wear a little cross? What is that a symbol of? The crucifixion of Christ. It's a symbol. Is it as bad as the actual cross of crucifixion? No. So it's reality. This is reality with affliction, inflicting vengeance, and, and, and again, there are going to be some who say, I don't like you describing God as vengeful. That's what His holiness requires. Th this is going to be judgment against the consequences of their sin and rejection. 
destruction. Now, don't interpret this as annihilation, all right? I'm going to give a couple little correctives of things that are out there. Oh, we're going to be just destroyed. We're going to be annihilated. We will be no more. So, whew, I'm glad about that. No, that's not what it means. Imagine this is being destroyed, being torn apart. I don't know how else to put it. I had this wild thought this morning because it says fire. Imagine melting forever. It's not like the wicked witch. I'm melting. And she melted. She's gone. Oh, just a pile of clothes. No, no. Melting being destroyed for an eternity. That's, see, we don't just look at the place called hell. We look at the condition and we look at the person. That's what all of these terms are about. Terms like, I just wrote down a few, unquenchable fire. That's fire that will never go out. Fiery furnace, fiery lake. All this fire and also outer darkness, the darkest outer darkness, a place of such excruciating pain and torment that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth where, and this is an old description, it's always kind of made me shiver, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Add to that that there is no hope of ever having a reprieve. This is not just a bad day compared with, well, tomorrow will be a better day. No reprieve, no hope, no second chance, no escape. Is there, is there any biblical concept that could be more terrifying or grim unless we just don't believe it? It's a myth. I bet you also believe in Sasquatch. Here's another thing, a common thought. Correct this, please. Some of your friends might... I don't mind going to hell. Hell is run by Satan. We're going to get there and we're going to party hard. Hell is not run by Satan. He's going to be eternally in the lake of fire into which he will ultimately be cast. Here's another one, and this might be even more shocking to you. Do you know where all of these words that I just described came from? Some old-time Baptist preacher? Who was the original fire and brimstone preacher? The Lord Jesus Christ. All of those descriptions came from his mouth. He spoke of hell more than anyone else in Scripture. He spoke of hell more than he spoke about heaven. Here's another thing to correct. Watch this. And it almost seems to say it, 
away from the presence of the Lord. Did you see that? Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. That is very specific. Presence means face, away from the face of the Lord. Now, let's look at this. There are no contradictions in the Bible. I will declare to them, all of these people, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Does that contradict the verse in Revelation chapter 14 that says that he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There is There is no contradiction. It makes perfect sense. Is God, he's a lot of things, is he omnipresent? That means, is he everywhere at the same time? Yes, he is. There is no place where God is not. So how can they be away from the presence, unless that word presence means the face? When we are with the Lord... What makes heaven, heaven? Streets of gold? Crystal sea? No. Being in the presence, the face of Jesus. Because from his face will emanate all of the blessings and the the mercy and the love. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror darkly. That's all we can hope to do here today. But someday we're going to see the Lord Jesus face to face. What makes hell, hell? It's not separation from God. It's being in, and that's a common thought, but it's untrue. Just remember Unrepentant sinners are God-haters, okay? We know that. Just write down this verse right here. Whoop, maybe I passed it up. I didn't. Uh, Write down this verse, Romans chapter 1 and verse 30. And Romans 8 verse 7. because those are extremely important. There's no neutrality. People are God-haters. What does a person who hates God least want to do? Be in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, with His face of blessing turned away, all he can hope for is the wrath unmitigated. See, what makes heaven... Heaven is the presence of God with a mediator. What makes hell, hell? The presence of God without a mediator. Unmitigated wrath and fury. Let's go on to the last thing. On those who afflict you, on those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not three categories, descriptions of the same person. A person who does not know God and is not known by Him. True saving knowledge is always linked 
to obey, obeying the gospel. The gospel is always both a promise that is offered and received and a command that is to be obeyed. One of the reasons, well, the main reason that I preach this today is because it's next. That's one of the benefits of going through books of the Bible. But here is something that I became convinced of this last week. That as believers, followers of Christ, we should never be afraid of a, I'll say it like this, a robust, accurate theology of hell. We should never be or try to be God's PR agents. Don't try to put a spin on it and be God's personal public relations representatives on who He is and what He does. Just be honest and witness to the truth. And then I'll end with this. I was going to say, get out your calendars. Um, Jonathan's got a couple of announcements to make. What, what, we're not through. Okay. But I was going to give another announcement about an upcoming event that you want to make sure is on your calendar. VBS is coming up, some of the things. So please, please put this on your calendar, would you? God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I see, I see some of you writing. Is that on your calendar? You say, well, <laughs> Marty, oh, come on. We don't know when that is. That's why in the verse right before that, Paul says he commands all people everywhere to repent. People all the time are asking me, do you think the Lord Jesus is coming back soon? I say yes, but even if it's a thousand years, knowing the terror of the Lord and that you could be called home as you drive home today, shouldn't we persuade men, people in our own family? I tell you, when I studied this and in my own pri private prayer time this week, my own quiet time, it made a difference in how I prayed for family members. And out of that, I, I cried out to the Lord, let it make a difference in the way I witness looking for people so I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I thought of this. It ought to make a difference in the kind of life that I live. It's not on the overhead, but I'll just read it for you out of Second Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dis dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives 
of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will have taken these words to heart. They're your words. They're not words of a preacher. Uh, really, they've not been embellished. They, they just, they're there. Help these words to drive us to that place where with the appropriate fear of the living God, knowing the terror of the Lord, that we will be more persuasive in our prayer life, the words that we speak with family members, at get-togethers, just calling, writing cards or, or emails or whatever the case may be, and help us to be more intentional about godly and holy living in our only lives, knowing, knowing the end of all things. Father, you know the hearts of the people in this room. I pray that if there are any who do not know Jesus Christ, today would be the day of salvation. They would simply repent, turn away from their sins, playing and fighting God, and uh, reaching out for the free offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. Grant that it be so. We thank you and we love you. Help us now as we end this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.